0: I don't think that Nottingham Forest offers Gio Reyna necessarily better soccer, okay? But it may force him to step up and to put on his big boy pants and to get down to work. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lalas, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This show will be talking the Mexican market, geo on the move, Bob Ross, the power of soccer, Messi, Miami in 2024, team valuations, the 2026 World Cup final, and so much more. But first joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossier, soccer savant and a Fox Soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire! Mossy, how you doing on this Wednesday, January twenty-four in the year twenty twenty-four?
1: Bob Ross, yeah. Don't worry, we'll get there. Is that your what are we watching? Submission? To? Very possible. Little tease there. Very, very, very possible. Oh, how you doing, Bud? I'm doing well. I'll tell you what I'll be watching later today. Okay. A movie called The Zone of Interest, uh, which was nominated for academy award for best picture really and once i watched that film i will have seen eight of the ten that were nominated did you see the uh, nominations
0: i did see the nominations i i I saw all the brouhaha relative to barbie and who was and wasn't nominated and all that kind of stuff typical for barbie i guess you know so i have not seen a lot of the movies um but what's this one called you're talking about
1: the zone of interest Do do you know what it's about Yes, (laughs) it's about uh, (laughs) Nazis and what their life was like living at the Auschwitz uh, concentration camp. Oh, okay. All right. (laughs) Uh, Feel good. uh, Yes. uh, uh, But just uh, the 10 best picture nominees American Fiction, Anatomy of a Fall, Barbie, The Holdovers, Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro, much to Michael DeCourcy's chagrin. He hated that movie. uh, Oppenheimer, Past Lives, Poor Things. And then the Zone of Interest, which I'm going to see uh, tonight. After tonight, the only ones I will not have seen will be Past Lives and Poor Things. But I'll definitely make sure to watch those. Who do do you
0: think will win and who should win of your seven that you've seen?
1: Uh, I think Oppenheimer will win. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and I have no issue with Oppenheimer winning. It would be a jump ball between that and Killers of the Flower Moon. Got
0: it. Uh, So you're going to watch that.
1: Anything you want to mention that you have watched? Uh, I did finish Reservation Dogs. Um, really enjoyed it, uh, and I'm off on another binge already. A show called Drops of God, which aired on Apple TV, Ooh. absolutely terrific.
0: Is it ongoing? I mean, can I pick this up? Or uh,
1: it's finished, so you can. It's you done. Can watch okay. It. Yep.
0: What's it about? So people know.
1: So this guy who is this legendary wine connoisseur dies, and in his will, he sets up a contest between his daughter and his protege. And whoever can exhibit a greater knowledge of wine gets to inherit this wine collection of his, which is worth $150 million. Ooh, I'm intrigued. All right,
0: I will check that out. Uh, I have one thing that I watched. It's called Paint, came out in 2023. It stars Owen Wilson. And (laughs) it is, as you mentioned, it is, I guess, on the surface, an homage to Bob Ross, do people know who Bob Ross is? Do you know who Bob Ross is? Of course, wonderful painter, um, and much more than a painter. So it wasn't just his talent painting; it was his ability to paint, paint quickly. He did landscapes, and it he did it on television. He had a television show, and almost equal to his talent as a painter was his ability to communicate and almost this Zen spiritual type of way that he communicated with his audience over the screen and. For people that have watched, you will know what I'm talking about. So, anyway, I, I guess the intent of this movie was, as to, like I said, an homage to Bob Ross. Now, he, in in the movie, Owen Wilson plays a guy who looks just like Bob Ross, all, although his name is Carl Nargle, I think, is the, in the uh, the character. But what it ends up being, I guess, it was also meant to be kind of this parody, mockumentary, satire type of thing. It does none of those things. Uh, So whatever it tried to do, I don't think that it hit. And you're left with this very strange movie. And it's almost as if, you know, when you go and see a comedian and he or she bombs and there's that moment when the joke does not hit and there's this silent and maybe a smattering of applause. I feel like this entire movie is that where they were going for something and they didn't hit it or the audience can't quite get what is actually trying to be said through it so it's not it's not really funny it's not really interesting and ultimately i think it was a failed attempt to pay homage to this guy who if done correctly could have been both cool but also funny if you want to do a comedy about it but you know it's no anchorman or or anything like that so it was just it was not that good
1: So two thumbs down.
0: Two thumbs down from me. All right. Should we uh, light this candle, my friend? Let's do it. Where should we start?
1: We have lots of games to look forward to over the next few days. We're actually going to begin it in Mexico. On Friday, Chivas is away to Tijuana, so Cade Cowell could make his second Liga MX appearance. Before we get to Cade Cowell, though, Chivas making news today because they have signed Chicharito, and this is a return to the club where he began his career. Uh, And you have thoughts. Well, I just think it's worth kind of
0: putting a, you know, putting a an end to what Chicharito meant to the galaxy. By the way, for those that are watching this show, we have the picture of his uh, unveiling. I mean, Chicharito's gone full on. Like the uh, if I was looking at this and didn't know anything, I'd be like, man, the uh, the, the PBA tour, the Professional Bowlers Association tour, is going to be lit <laughs> going forward. He's got. Well, first off, he's dyed his hair. He's got his shades on, and he's got this kind of bowling slash western fluorescent blue shirt going on. But the post mortem, when it comes to Chicharito and MLS, I think it was the right player to sign at the time. I think you kind of had to do it if you were the Los Angeles Galaxy. Uh, Injuries, obviously, were not great, and playing at a time when the Galaxy as a team, was not great, certainly didn't help him. I don't think it will be looked at necessarily as a failure, but I think there will be an element of what could have been and what ultimately wasn't. And so his time in MLS and for the Galaxy will be pretty forgettable. And for a star of his magnitude, that is, I guess it's surprising. Although maybe the star that he was never quite materialized and maybe it was never there ultimately in terms of what he was able to do on the field
1: by the way right next to him in that picture is real madrid legend fernando hiero who you you might have played against at some point in your career Uh, he is a director at chivas
0: yes i mean i I looked him up he looks he looks incredible fit ready to go all that kind of stuff man oh man this is this is going to be interesting so we'll see ultimately what uh what chicharito does back home in the uh, familiar confines of uh League mx all right what else
1: i mentioned cade cowell uh felipe cardenas wrote a very interesting piece in the athletic this week uh, about uh, cowell's arrival at chivas and some of the larger context surrounding it chivas have a policy going back a hundred years of only f- uh fielding mexican players Uh, It's hotly debated in Mexico. Some people think it's noble and something they should persist with. Others think it's outdated in this globalized world we live in. Uh, In recent years, they've stretched the definition of a Mexican player. When Alex Zendejas played there a few years back, a lot of people thought that was already entering a gray area. And now Kate Cowell's signing has some people suggesting that this is effectively the end of that policy without them admitting it. Kate Cowell, born and raised in the U.S., doesn't speak a word of Spanish. He's an established U.S. international. Yes, he's technically a Mexican citizen. But as as one Mexican journalist pointed out, let's not fool ourselves. Cowell received dual citizenship because his mother's cousin's uncle's great grandmother's granddaughter ate at a Taco Bell. (laughs) That doesn't make him a player that characterizes the Chivas spirit. So this debate is going on as to this policy and how Cowell fits into it. Uh, What do you make of it?
0: It always was fascinating to me that this existed, and this I guess this concept or it was since it's gone on for so long, it's much more than an experiment and you're you're looking into tap into that nationalism and that pride that uh you know a certain segment of the uh, Mexican soccer market out there uh gravitates to, but it was inevitable as the world has changed as the world has opened up uh, as you know, let's be honest, uh, the world in terms of talent is producing so many more players and potential players that this was going to be watered down. It's untenable for them to continue on like this. So I'm not sad at the demise of this club. I mean, that they were not just successful, but legendarily successful that they were able to do it and create this brand maybe a lot of it was this association with what they what they were doing
1: and part of the reason why they were able to be so successful is they have a fabled youth system that's produced the likes of Chicharito and Carlos Vela uh but uh yeah i mean like
0: i said i don't think it's sustainable and you're going to see more and more of this and when when it comes down to that next generation of Chivas fan how invested are they really in this way of doing business, if you will, going forward. And how much do they just want to see this team win?
1: It's interesting. Uh, some of the people defending the policy use this age-old argument that we've seen in other countries as well, that uh, Liga MX teams sign too many foreigners and that blocks the path of young Mexican players. So they like that at least one of the big Mexican teams is devoted to developing Mexican players. Do you buy that? Have you ever bought that argument?
0: I I do think that a league has a, you know, for lack of a better word, a, a duty or a responsibility to the country in which, the, in which they play in and to give opportunities and develop. I mean, again, if you want to do something different, you want to go a different way, that's, uh, that's fine.
1: I don't know, Mossy. I just... How would it hit you if an MLS team decided uh, we're going to adopt this policy of only fielding American players, because we want to help the U.S. national team get better. Yeah, but if you, uh, how if you would that couch
0: be? it like that, I'm not sure Chivas has couched it right, like right. that. You're right. so, but if you're, if you're saying, you know what, we have a responsibility to the young American soccer players here uh, that are growing up here that we are asking to take these pathways to, I then I think that that could sell as long as you combine it with winning, because ultimately if people look around and say, oh, that's fine and well, but the only thing that you've done is given players an opportunity to play on a team that gets their ass kicked on a consistent basis. If that's the case, then I think you got, I think you got a problem.
1: As an aside, uh, I think I mentioned this on the pod. I recently went to the Pueblo de Los Angeles neighborhood in downtown Los Angeles. Uh, It's the oldest neighborhood in LA. Um, The, Main Street that runs through it is called Olvera Street. It's got a real Mexican heritage. There are museums that chronicle the history of Mexican-Americans. And they talk about how Mexican-Americans live in this world where they're caught in between two countries. When they go to Mexico, they're considered Americans. When they come to the United States, they're considered Mexicans. And so this article made me think about that. It, it is a very interesting dynamic with guys like Kate Cowell and Brandon Vasquez that we're going to talk about in a but second.
0: But we've talked about that now for a couple of generations, and that will continue to, to change. I and mean, when we all have our different lineages and, and heritage out there. But that second and that third generation oftentimes considers themselves much more, in this case, it would be American as opposed to what their parents or their grandparents uh, were. And so that I think just as a, as a function of time will, will, will dissipate.
1: All Brandon, right. What else? Brandon Vasquez also uh, recently moved to Liga MX to join Monterey. They have Querétaro tonight and then at the weekend, San Luis. So we'll keep an eye on Brandon Vasquez as well and what he can do there. Uh, Next up, the Bundesliga. Bayern Munich played a makeup game today against Union Berlin. This was a match that was postponed a couple of months ago due to weather. They won 1-0 at home. Rafael Guerrero got the only goal. Uh, Brendan Aronson came on in the second half for Union Berlin. This knocks down the gap between Leverkusen and Bayern to four points. At the weekend, Bayern are away to Augsburg in the Bavarian derby. Leverkusen hosts Jordan Pifok and Borussia Mönchengladbach. Uh, Dortmund are home to Eric Winalda's former club, Bochum. The big question is whether Gio Reyna will still be a Dortmund player come Saturday. Uh, it seems like his situation might be coming to a head here. Over the last 24 hours, Nottingham, Forest and Marseille have emerged as the likeliest destination. Sevilla still being mentioned as well. But let's focus on Forest and Marseille. U.S. fans on Twitter don't seem enthused about either option. What do you make of it?
0: So, if... Gio Reyna has come to the conclusion and again we all look at it from the outside but internally that this cannot continue because no matter what he does he is just not in their plans. Then obviously you have to move and I guess the sooner the better. Is this a good situation for him? I I don't think that Nottingham Forest offers Gio Reyna necessarily better soccer, okay? but it may force him to step up and to put on his big boy pants and to get down to work. And while there are four points or something clear right now, they're certainly not out of the woods when it comes to relegation. So a potential relegation slog for Forrest with Geo is not always about beauty and pretty soccer, but it's often more about you know you're grinding through and you're, you're getting through difficult moments and just finding a way to bend but not break and get those points and through that uh, adversity and that might be something that in this particular moment Gio Reyna needs and would benefit from we saw what happened with Weston McKinney and maybe even a certain extent to what happened to uh, to Christian Pulisic at Chelsea Weston McKinney when he came over to play for Leeds and for all of these players, at some point you have to stop saying, well, it's the coach or it's the the team or it's, <laughs> you know, the the sun or the moon or whatever it is. And it's me and I have the power to change it. And again, if he really has come to the conclusion that no matter what he does, nothing's going to change that I can, I can get that. And there are certain situations where you're just not the coach's cup of tea and then you have to uh, have to change. But I'm not, I'm not overly excited about the potential of him going to Nottingham Forest, but it might be the best thing when all is said and done.
1: I don't like Forest at all, with apologies to Poppy Miller and our former colleague Jeff Hyman. Uh, To me, that has Weston McKinney leads written all over it. They have this crazy Greek owner. They've signed a zillion players the last couple of years. They make Chelsea look restrained in the transfer market. (laughs) And it just feels like a club that's all over the place. Uh, I don't think that would be a good fit for him at all. And I don't love Marseille either. By the way, that would be Gennaro Gattuso he'd be playing for. Uh, I'm telling you, uh, if these are the two options on the table, I'm talking myself into he should just stick it out at Dortmund the rest of the season then try again in the summer because I don't like either move for him.
0: But would you, If can I make the case, and I'm interested to hear what, how you respond to this, if I make the case that Weston actually going to Leeds is what, has enabled us to find this version of Weston, who, by the way, came back. And you know, from the time that plane hit the the tarmac uh, back in Italy, it was, well, he's not in our plans. He's going to have to find something else. And the dude worked his ass off and got back into the good graces to the point right now where he's arguably their most valuable player in terms of what he is doing game in and game out. Says a lot about who he is as not a young man anymore now, just simply a man that and so did Leeds help him do that and could that possibly happen for a giorena
1: perhaps yeah okay. you put him in forest in a relegation battle maybe that'll toughen him up uh, so yeah that, that that is a fair argument but I, I don't know i still overall think that's a weird destination for him
0: and what if he doesn't have that in him what if giorena doesn't have that in him then then i worry
1: are you disappointed at all i saw max brettos tweeting about this today He's disappointed that bigger clubs don't seem more interested in Gio and that it's been kind of a sobering last couple of weeks for U.S. fans because they thought Gio was generally held in higher regard across Europe.
0: Well, I mean, if he is a stock, right, he he burst on the scene like, uh, you know, a, a crypto thing or whatever, and everybody was going crazy. And I think that there is, I mean, he's an incredible player. He's got great talent. But it was all based on potential and based on this growth that ultimately didn't come to fruition at, at Dortmund. So I don't think that that stock has come down is, is unfair and it's happened to other players. And it can go back up. But I am, I'm not, I'm not disappointed. I'm disappointed that he didn't continue on the trajectory. But that doesn't mean that he can't resurrect that, you know, value that is associated with him. And who knows? Maybe Forrest is the place to do it.
1: One American doing well in England is Anthony Robinson. We'll go there next. He was in the starting lineup today for Fulham against Liverpool in the League Cup semifinal second leg. It finished 1-1. That does mean Liverpool advance 3-2 on aggregate. They will face Chelsea in the final. Uh, Chelsea advanced yesterday at the expense of Middlesbrough. Uh, this upcoming weekend, we have the FA Cup fourth round. Liverpool will play host to Norwich. So we'll get to see Josh Sargent playing at Anfield. Nice. Redhead on fire right now, by the way. He's, uh, he's, he's, doing, he's doing
0: good things, scoring, again, getting back into that conversation. And this goes back to what we were just talking about. I remember John Hark's. And look, I, I love John. I mean, he's not Yoda or anything. But when I first met him, he said, if your career okay, is just one continual upward <laughs> uh, line of success after sex, uh, success, then you live a charmed life. But recognize that that is a complete minority that that happens to. It's going to go up. It's going to go down. You're going to have good times and bad times, both on and off the field. And that's just the nature of of any career. And so Someone like Josh Sargent, who we've talked about, you know, putting in the work and going, uh, in this case, off of an injury and working yourself back into contention, working yourself back into attention, whether it's of your club coach or of your uh, national team coach. And in doing so, changing the value and ultimately maybe even the perception of who you are today versus a year ago or two years ago.
1: Uh, One other FA Cup match I'd like to highlight. We haven't mentioned this team in a while. Wrexham are away to Blackburn. Wrexham doing very well this season. It looks like they're going to get promoted from League 2 to League 1. There's another season of that television show on the way. They've made news in the last couple of days. They're talking about putting their matches uh, free, available here in the U.S. They really want to grow the brand here. I know this story kind of rubs you the wrong way a little bit, but... uh,
0: doesn't rub me the wrong way at all. What's your
1: problem? Why are you doing that? Stop poking. Stop poking.
0: Now it doesn't, it doesn't rub me the wrong way, but well, let's be honest, this isn't just a little engine that could. This isn't like a Cinderella type of story. It's it's actually a perfect representation of what you can do to hedge your bets in terms of moving up this pyramid. And I think there will be plenty out there that will scream and yell and say, but At least there is a pyramid to do so. Well, you spend more than others. You give yourself a better chance of winning and therefore moving up that pyramid, which is what Wrexham have done. And that's that's not a bad thing. It's great. I'm so happy when I see something like this because they understood what the reality was. And I say they, I mean the ownership that came in and that they have this huge marketing arm of people grasping onto it whether people realize it or not if even if they look at it as a as a cinderella type of story they're not going to correct them <laughs> so you know to the victor go the spoils and they keep winning and they keep if they keep moving up that's great it'll be interesting to see if at a certain point the money becomes something where they need to <laughs> continue to have uh maybe other owners uh, because those zeros start to add up after a while, even if even if you're winning and even with the payments that you get as, when you're going up.
1: In Spain, we had a Copa del Rey quarterfinal action the past two days. Yesterday, Celta Vigo fell 2-1 to Real Sociedad, but the Vigo goal courtesy of Luca Della Torre. Today, uh, Girona fell 3-2 away to Stu Holden's Mallorca. At the weekend in La Liga, Celta Vigo will host Girona, who are the league leaders, but uh, let's not bury the lead here. Luca De La Torre all of a sudden, scoring goals. Is that
0: is, it, is that a question or is that just a statement? I'm I'm excited. I'm I'm happy for him and what he is doing. By the way, during the uh, game today, Stu was. Texting back and forth with me, and it's just it, he lives each and every moment, each and every goal, and back and forth. And this guy's the best player in the world, and then this guy's the worst player in the world, all within a matter of
1: minutes. It's I funny. mean, they're off to the semis. This yep. could happen. This is rarefied air for would them. Would he go to the final, presumably, if they're in it?
0: Oh, I would think so. I mean, it, you, do, you give Stu a half a chance to get to LAX, and he's he's off.
1: Speaking of Stu holden's Majorca, they host Real Betis this weekend in La Liga. Johnny Cardoso looking to build on his impressive Betis debut against Barcelona.
0: I mean, look, if you can do it during, against Barcelona, then talk about turning heads.
1: I will say, when Tyler Adams is fit and the U.S. plays in a 4-3-3, it's pretty defined that it's Adams, McKinney, and Musa. I think the backups are becoming pretty defined, too. Johnny, De La Torre, and Malik Tillman.
0: You think so? And you don't see Richards as a potential midfielder?
1: As we talked about, that's an interesting one. He started to play there for Palace. Uh, we're not sure how Greg Berhalter feels about that, whether he really views him as an option there. If so, then yeah, then, then yeah. he would throw a wrench I, into what I just said. But nevertheless.
0: I, mean, I, I don't like experimentation when it comes to the national team.
1: <laughs> uh, all right, anything else? Before we leave Spain... Uh, that controversial Real Madrid-Almeria match from this past weekend that we talked about on Monday's pod is still generating headlines. Now, La Liga, they released the audio from VAR decisions. But there was another play in that game where Vinicius, away from the ball, punched an Almeria player, and the VAR guy spotted it, but for whatever reason, didn't alert the referee. And that audio leaked And a Barcelona journalist somehow got his hands on it and put it out as further evidence of this pro-Real Madrid bias. La Liga is furious, trying to figure out how it leaked. The referees from that game, meanwhile, are getting death threats and needing police protection. Uh, so it's all gotten very ugly. The discourse between Real Madrid and Barcelona, Barcelona are talking this up as if this was the scandal of the century and that this whole La Liga season is tainted now. Real Madrid claim that they're only doing that to deflect from their own scandal, that Negreta case. Uh, they said that Xavi's whole Barcelona career is tainted. Uh, so Jeez. nasty stuff, huh? Wow. I mean,
0: I not that they're doing even close or remotely the same job in terms, terms of importance, but I look at, The VAR now, especially in in a league like this, where they excuse me, where they do put out the uh, the uh, you know the the recordings as like a uh, an air traffic controller, in that it's all being recorded. You should know that it's all being recorded, and yes, their representatives have a responsibility to protect them to the extent that they can. But just recognize that everything that you say could possibly be become public and then act accordingly. But maybe maybe there's something to all the uh tinfoil out there, Mossy.
1: You know, the, the back and forth between Real Madrid and Barcelona and these scandals, it's very Michigan Ohio State's Michigan sign steely from this past season. There are some echoes of that.
0: I mean, they're looking for any possible vulnerability. You know, I mean, it, it mirrors politics, too. And you're looking for any possible thing that can put somebody in a bad light.
1: And these are the two clubs that are supposedly in cahoots to create the Super League. And they absolutely hate each other right now. So I don't know how that's going to go.
0: Well, at some point, they they would <laughs> unite out of a greater good. And when I say a greater good, a, that'd be money. So. Right.
1: Uh, Incidentally, this weekend, Real Madrid away to Las Palmas, Barcelona home to Villarreal. Barcelona just crashed out of the Copa del Rey. They lost 4-2 away to Athletic Bilbao in extra time. So I'm sure folks in Madrid enjoyed that one. Uh, We head next to Italy on Monday, right after we finished taping Inter beat Napoli in the Super Cup final in Saudi Arabia. Lautaro Martinez with a late winner. So Inter scoop up another trophy there. The big one in Serie A this upcoming weekend, AC Milan play host to Bologna, which is Pulisic and Musa versus Sean Sullivan fight the American showdown.
0: Wow. I mean, what, what what does he do in a situation like this?
1: I don't know if you recall this, but way back in the Alex Dowd era of the State of the Union podcast.
0: Previous producer for State of the Union, yeah, for those that when, don't
1: know. When, uh, and God knows what he's doing now. Uh, <laughs> when Christian Pulisic signed with Chelsea, I went on a whole spiel on the pot about how this was going to make all these Americans that adopted a Premier League team very uncomfortable whenever their team faced Pulisic. Would they be happy if he did well or not? And now it's Sean Sullivan that's dealing with this. You could tell he's very conflicted. He's all tied up in knots. What happens, Sean, if Christian Pulisic scores a goal this weekend? I mean, look,
0: I think that country trumps club. And maybe in particular for U.S. players and for U.S. players abroad. I So I'm... I don't want to speak for him, but I think that he, that, that he says, I want, well, I mean, ideally he would want his Bologna team to win and Christian Pulisic to have a, a great game, right? That's, that's ideal. But if he could only have one thing, I think he ultimately, he's a, he's, he's an American first and foremost, you know?
1: Remember, it's that country over club mentality that irritated some Leeds fans last season. Yeah. It felt like Americans were getting involved in the Leeds fan discourse about the team, but doing it from a biased American perspective, like, you don't really care about our team. You just care about your guys.
0: I mean, uh, John T. Whitehead, uh, former executive here at Fox, I remember asking him point blank, would you rather have England win a World Cup or your, uh, what's his Sheffield name? Wednesday. Sheffield Wednesday get, uh, get promoted, I guess it was. And it didn't even take them a second. Wednesday. I, I, don't, I don't get that. I don't understand that. And again, this is the, the beautiful differences that we have out there. The problem is, is when it gets weaponized and, and people will say, well, that doesn't make you a real fan or you're not really authentic. or You're not genuine. And that's just because of your your stupid American soccer culture out there. That's the that's the voice that I use whenever it's a, a moron, either someone that's actually American or someone from <laughs> elsewhere who is making fun of us. So that's the uh, the universal voice of that. but
1: The universal moron
0: voice. Exactly. But, you know, screw you. That's how we roll over here.
1: Uh, also in Italy, Juventus host Empoli. Uh, some interesting news emanating from Juventus. Uh, Weston McKinney uh, has apparently been offered a contract extension, which is no surprise given the way he's played this season. But U.S. fans on Twitter have even figured out a reason to be upset here because the figure being thrown around is two and a half million euros per season, which they think is shockingly low and evidence of anti-American bias. And if he came from a different country and was playing as well as he is, that offer would be much higher. Does that, is that something you even concern yourself with?
0: Well, the market sets the price, right? And if, if, if I was negotiating with uh, Weston McKinney and his representation, I would say, "Yeah, he's done a great job, but we've seen in the past where he hasn't. So is this the new Weston McKinney, or is just just an anomaly? And this is just a wonderful moment that he's in, because I don't want to go back to what Weston McKinney was, and I like what it is right now. And so that has to be reflected in the value that we have right now. I don't think it has anything to do with American. As a matter of fact, we've talked a lot about how Americans are used and are being used to attract viewership. So in that sense, his value in- increases. But it did seem a little bit low.
1: Let me ask you this. I've been thinking about this recently. Would you be content if Pulisic and McKenney spent the rest of their careers in Syria? And the reason I ask that is the allure of the Premier League right now is such where I've actually seen some fans think that at some point, they need to go back there to redeem themselves and prove that they can excel in that league. Do you care about that at all? Or you'd be perfectly happy if, as long as things continue to go well at Juve and AC Milan, just stay there the rest of your career?
0: I don't care. I think that, unless it's one of the elite type of teams, and it's not just a flyer, it's, hey, we need this player in order to be, continue to be
1: elite. I think that even plays into the geo thing. There's no way that if whatever the equivalent of Nottingham Forest in any other league was pursuing him, he would even consider it. But he he considers Forest because there's something about playing in sure. the Premier League.
0: Sure, it's it's nice to put on your resume. And keep in mind, this is the first would be the first move of Geo's career. You know, Weston has now gone multiple places here. Yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't bother me in the least if they finished out their career playing in Syria, especially. What, with what Syria has become and is right now. And, and I guess going forward, hopefully, is going to continue to be. Uh,
1: lastly, in this segment, uh, let's uh, update you on the two major international tournaments going on. Afghan first, the group stage is in the books. It was very entertaining, by the way. Uh, people have been enthralled by the Afghan action so far. The big story, both Ghana and Algeria crashed out in the group stage. Um, Defending champion Senegal moving on, Nigeria moving on, World Cup semifinalist Morocco advance, and also Egypt, but they lost Mo Salah to injury. This is a weird situation. There's some disagreement about how serious the injury is, how long he's gonna be out. He's gone back to Liverpool to recover, but Egyptians are still holding out hope that if he gets fit enough, he might go back to the Ivory Coast to play in AFCON if in the semifinal or final, if Egypt are still around. That's very odd. He's the captain of the team. You figure if there's a chance of him still playing in the tournament, he'd stick around there. Why would he go back to Liverpool and then go again to the so Ivory Coast?
0: Is he coming back to get treatment? Is it, do they feel like it's better treatment there, or do they they just feel that once he's back, we we can lock the door?
1: What's I, going on? I don't think he's making it back to Afcon. I think Liverpool are going to fuzzy it up and say he's not healthy enough, and and so you're already seeing some stuff now. Oh, the injury is is more serious than initially thought and so maybe he's not going to recover in time i think liverpool are going to do everything they can to fuzzy that up and make sure that he's not going back to that tournament
0: but it is it is nice to see so many you know teams and teams that you don't talk about or that you don't necessarily see in the uh in the knockout stage of any tournament especially a big tournament like this and it's given us surprises and you mentioned big teams that
1: are out so I'm, i'm cool with that And then in the Asian Cup, the group stage is not over yet, but uh, some teams we can already highlight. uh, Host Qatar with three wins out of three. Akram Afif having a great tournament so far. Um, Three wins out of three for for Qatar. Iran, which is a team the U.S. beat in the last World Cup. They had a great group stage. Three wins out of three. Iraq with three wins out of three, including a win over Japan. And let's pause there for a second. (laughs) I had no idea that Japan versus the U.S. was such a thing on Twitter. I've been singing Japan's praises. I think they're doing some good things there. They beat Germany and Spain in the last World Cup, went out to Croatia on penalties. Great start to this cycle, winning games, scoring goals for fun. I like a lot of the players they have, Tomayasu, Endu, uh, Minamino, Mitoma, Kamada. Uh, But when I was doing it, it wasn't like throwing it in the face of the U.S. Uh, It seems like a lot of U.S. fans have interpreted Japan praise recently as being a shot at the U.S., and so when Japan lost that game to Iraq, the schadenfreude was unbelievable. When I was scrolling through my timeline, every other tweet was some U.S. fan being, ha, 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 Japan lost. I thought they were supposed to be so much better than us. I did, I did not realize that in that U.S. Twitter tack manager world that U.S. versus Japan had become a thing.
0: Well, I think you can understand why oftentimes it's used as a comp, given their history or lack of history, depending on how you want to look at it, uh, given the... Um, the creation of the J league and and what that has been given that there was a time and maybe there is continues to be a time of them wanting to rise up as a league and as a soccer playing nation um, in a way that historically they haven't been. So there's a lot of similarities to the U to the U S but so I don't think it should become a surprise to you or anybody else out there that when this happens, because people hear that and it is, I get why it's a comp, but it but it is also a little apples and oranges when it, when it comes to what's going on. But, for example, Mossy, if it ended up being the U.S.-Japan in the round of 16 uh, of a World Cup, I'll take that all day. Absolutely. Not a problem. And I'll, I'll put my money on the U.S. So That is it. That's it? Yeah. All right, listen, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we got a really special segment that I think you're going to like um, about the power of soccer and uh, what it can do, especially um, when it comes to just a tremendous tragedy um, and the reaction that the soccer community has had and one particular individual, which we'll meet next segment. Okay, welcome back. A uh, special segment here on the State of the Union. Uh, it's my pleasure to welcome Nikki Mark, the author of Tommy's Field, Love, Loss, and the Goal of a Lifetime, uh, out yesterday. We're recording this again on Wednesday, January 24th, out Wednesday on Union Square Publishing. Um, first off, congratulations on writing a book. That in and of itself is an incredible accomplishment. Thank you for coming in, and not just coming in, but coming into the studio to be with us today. Um, this book, I finished it over the weekend. It is amazing because it, it, it has so many different facets. And, uh, you know, the, the, the main part of this book obviously is it was born out of incredible tragedy. Uh, in April, 2018, your 12 year old son, Tommy died. He went to sleep, uh, and unfortunately never woke up. He was, uh, In reading this book, I know uh, an incredible spitfire and uh, a wonderful soccer player played for the LA Galaxy and LAFC Academy. And while this is, as I said, born out of this grief and this devastating tragedy, it's also an incredible story of resilience and family for not just you, but uh, your husband, Doug, your uh, your other son, Donovan, your stepson, Ethan, and even your dog, Ginger, makes plenty of uh, appearances in this book. So that was really, really cool as I said, about family, about community politics and local government and red tape and bureaucracy and spirituality and mysticism and youth soccer, the landscape that we talk a lot about here on this show uh, and that dysfunction at times, and also the microcosm of your experience uh, as to what it is relative to our country and even changing demographics. All of these different things I found in this, uh, in this incredible book. I guess my first uh, request, without even a question, request is tell us about your son and what made him so special, both as a soccer player and as a young man.
2: Thank you for having me. You're welcome. It's really an honor to be here. Um, Tommy was a connector, and he loved to play, and he played everything, and he played all day long, and he sang, and he danced, and he played soccer, and he played football, and he loved sports, and so when he left, the minute he left, I knew, oh, like how hard this boy had played in life, and it felt like a lesson to me to play. Enjoy this life, mom. And as as sad as I was, as horrible as I felt, I knew I needed to share that spirit of play with others. And by doing so, I would learn to embody it myself.
0: So one of the things throughout this book is that power. And like I said, his almost pushing you to go forward. And, you know, a huge part of this book is the the fight, and then ultimately the success and creation, I'm not giving anything away, of creating Tommy's Field, a soccer field in the Westwood area of Los Angeles where you live in, that ultimately came to fruition in 2021. You since have gone on and built other, another soccer field uh, in um, Vista Del Mar, and who knows what the future holds when it comes to this. But this was also interesting in reading this book. This was something that you had talked about and thought about doing and even started even before his death, and obviously when he passed away, this, this, this incredible sorrow that you were all going through, but also him being there to push you to do this and to go through all of these different challenges that you go through uh, in, in this book. Can you take us through some Just some of the challenges, because there's a lot out there that you've, uh, that you've been through in order to get these fields made. And again, these fields are for local communities, and you raised an incredible amount of money and came up time and time again against challenges uh, to put in fields for the community, like I said, and fields that you were going to pay for.
2: Yeah, so before Tommy passed away, he asked me what my next job would be. And I told him, I wasn't sure, I did startups, but that I wanted to improve a field In a park for children to play on. We don't have enough soccer fields in the city of Los Angeles and especially none where kids can just show up and free play. He loved the idea, said he couldn't wait for it. And so when he left three days later, unexpectedly, uh, a friend said, let's build that field, let's share that spirit of play. So I was driven by love. And by a promise to him. And we set out to raise over a million dollars to gift the city of Los Angeles this field. We did that. The whole community came together. It was beautiful. It was tragic. And then the community process began. the city of Los Angeles. And, And I was asked by our council members team, do you have the community support? And I said, of course, the community raised this money. It's been very public and we've had multiple events. What I didn't know is that The community could also be people who live next to a park that just didn't want to share their park with others. And that began a whole local political movement I had no idea I would face. And I was grieving. I just wanted to serve our community and give this gift and honor my son. And it turned into a nine-month delay trying to weave my way through city government, through local politics, trying to negotiate, trying to just assure everyone that we had no ulterior motive but to serve and honor and ultimately it took 12 community meetings all over the city hundreds of people coming to each one lies and twisting of words I mean every it was basically a bit of a microcosm of our world um, in one little field and all we wanted to refurbish do was refurbish a dirt field with holes
0: I mean, some of the scenes that you paint here, and actually some of the characters that, are, that become characters in this book, uh, and almost, you know, villains at, at times, uh, but you, you, work, you work through that. And the whole NIMBY type of thing, not in my backyard, that, that you mentioned, did you find that a lot of these people that were against something like this weren't even necessarily against upgrades to a park, or soccer for that matter? but just the power that they felt to be against something and to push back on it. And almost this strange human characteristic that we probably all have a little bit of, but it comes to the fore in these types of uh, types of situations. And how did you, how did you work around that?
2: So the old school political leaders in Westwood and around the park, they were upset that we did not approach them first but I did not know they existed. I was a grieving mother. I was a businesswoman. I had never been involved in local politics like this. And so it was all a surprise to me. And I just figured we can fix this. It's all fixable. And the only thing that's not fixable is Tommy, but everything else we can fix. And nobody understood that these types of problems are so silly and man-made when you go through a loss like I've been through. So I really just kept optimistic that we would find a way Um, those that live next to the park quite frankly they didn't want people who played soccer in their park they didn't like what that might look like some of them some of them just liked it quiet and empty didn't want more people in it and you know at the end of the day there was nothing we could say or do no matter how many different designs we offered that would change their mind. And that's when we knew, my family knew, our community knew, it wasn't about the field. This was about ego. It was about fight. It was about winning and losing. And for us and our family, we had already lost. We lost Tommy. This was just a gift.
0: Let's go back a little bit to to Tommy, because uh, as you made very clear in the book, he had visions and uh, ambitions to be a soccer player, as many kids out there do. As I mentioned, he played for the Galaxy, he played for LAFC. You even have a history when it comes to LAFC uh, uh, in, in the uh, in, in working capacity off the field. Um, what was first, what do you think attracted him to soccer? And then how do you think he changed as a young man because of soccer above and beyond the actual kicking of the ball?
2: He grew up on a soccer field. His older brother, Ethan, played. He grew up you know, sitting there watching it. The minute he found a ball, he never stopped. He was kicking the walls in our home. We were breaking windows. And quite frankly, we became a soccer family and we loved every minute of it. And we still do. And I think that soccer, I really didn't know this until he left, how much it teaches you about life. You know, learning to receive and to give and to connect and to attack and defend. I mean, these are all aspects of life that we need to learn. And he studied it and he practiced it. And I think what he probably loved most about it is how it connected him to people because he was such a connector. Anywhere he went, he'd pick up a ball and just start playing. He made friends within seconds because of the ball and the game. And so anywhere we traveled, anywhere we were, old, young, didn't matter their background, he played. And he had a smile on his face when he did. And it was beautiful to see.
0: We're always trying to crack the code here when it comes to youth development. And you have been, uh, and maybe to a certain extent, continue to be a part of that ecosystem and a part of that, <laughs> at times, crazy dysfunction. Uh, if you had your way and you were given the opportunity to, to do things and to change things out there, what do you think needs to be done to, and again... Not just produce better soccer players, because we can certainly do that, but, but ultimately through soccer to produce better young men and women who are then going to go on and lead, in our case, what I feel is the greatest country in the world in the United States, but using soccer to, to, to acquire those skills.
2: Yeah, you know, I'm at the ground level on the field with the kids. So we're at, I'm at the bottom of the system. And what I've learned through this healing journey of mine is that change happens at the bottom but you need a vision. And for me, I mean I would just love to see US soccer have a vision that the bottom of the system can tie into and understand and see because to get there, to create that vision, the bottom has to buy into it, it has to develop into it and and they need to have the freedom to do it any way they want. Some Some of these kids may develop in the United States. Some of them may go off to Europe. Some of them may find their own path in between, whatever that is. I mean, it should, the pathway should be free to discover the best for each child, but the vision should be really clear and connect us all. And I think the madness of the system, and I just see disconnects all over the place, and it's part of the fun. But it's also part of the frustration and maybe why, you know, so many children fall off and out of the system. They simply don't know how to maneuver within it. It's complicated. Yeah. And it should be simple.
0: You mentioned connection. Uh, Throughout this book, you talk about the connections that you had and still have with Tommy. And as I said, uh, you know, you go through all sorts of spirituality and things in that you can you can feel you can talk to him and you can certainly feel his presence. What do you think he is saying right now, seeing his mom and what you have been able to accomplish and everybody around you? Because it takes a village. We all we all know that. What do you think he's saying right now about you? And I'm sure he's still as big a soccer fan as he ever was. What do you think he's thinking about the game right now?
2: I think I can feel his spirit buzzing. I think he is so proud and happy to still be playing in his own way. I feel like he's playing through me and his family and his community and buzzing in all of our ears and saying, let's keep playing. Let's get louder. And, you know, I think this book, I'm just I'm so proud of him um, because his impact keeps growing. And I believe we wrote this book together and he comes through me and my heart. And um, I think that he's the one that wanted to be a star and he's the one that wanted love being center of attention and love talking and connecting to all kinds of people. And in a way I feel like he's doing some of that through me.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, he, he is a star and whether it's the, um, the things that he has given you and others the power to do, or whether it's simply the the opportunities uh, with these fields that you have put in. And, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, possibly more fields as we go into the future?
2: Yeah, we're talking to the city of Los Angeles about a third field, and it's we love it, and the communities behind it, and we have amazing donors who love the project and love sharing the spirit of play. I mean, at the end of the world, there's so much darkness it feels. And one thing we can all do is play. And when we play, we laugh, we make new friends, we feel better. And maybe that's just some more light that we can all create in the world.
0: Well, I'm sure Tommy is very proud of you and all of your efforts and everything that you're doing. Again, Nikki Mark, thank you for coming on the State of the Union. Again, this is Tommy's Field. It's the new book out called Tommy's Field, Love, Loss, and the Goal of a lifetime. Pick it up because whether you're into soccer or not, I I think you're going to dig it. And as I said before, all the different stories that are part of this story are just fascinating. Like I said, a look into (laughs) the craziness that is local government and all that. Again, Tommy's Field, check it out. Okay, welcome back. And again, another thank you to uh, Nikki Mark, the author of Tommy's Field. Um, And By the way, you should know that if you want to donate, and you should for future Tommy Fields projects that you heard Nikki talk about, please visit www.tm23foundation.org, www.tm23foundation.org org all right it's time for ask alexi you use that uh, hashtag ask alexi out there and send in your comments questions and concerns keep in mind that our handle for the state of the union is sotu with alexi or you can call into our state of the union podcast hotline which is 657-549-2297 657-549-2297 mossy what do the uh, folks want to know today
1: uh first up a question on x dc Levon asks fc dallas versus inter miami thoughts Alluding to the preseason match, FC Dallas won 1-0 on a Jesus Ferreira goal.
0: So a couple of things. uh, For those that didn't watch, and again, because of the impact that Messi has had, it is kind of must-see, even in an exhibition capacity. It was played in the old Cotton Bowl. I love the Cotton Bowl. We used to play so many games in the Cotton Bowl. I think I've told you before, Mossy, that... Purely from a surface perspective, it was the best grass field in the United States. It's not, it's not in a great area, location-wise, um, and it's an old, old type of uh, type of stadium. Jesus Ferreira got the goal. That was a good thing. He did come off injured, so hopefully he is okay going, uh, going forward. But you could tell that both of these teams were still in second gear, as you would expect in a preseason type of uh, game. Messi played. He had... Plenty of opportunities couldn't ultimately uh, convert. Um, I think that both of these teams are going to look very different as we get into the nitty-gritty of the uh, of the season. But it was fun to see MLS back. It was fun to see, again, Messi playing. I, I One of the things that I love, and we have had this conversation about Ronaldo and all that kind of stuff, but one of the things that I will always talk about when it comes to Messi is his... Surprising durability. The dude plays. He wants to play. Obviously, he's targeted as one of the greatest players ever to play the game. And yet, he rides off tackles. And relatively speaking, especially to a lot of players out there and great players out there, he has, And I'm going to knock on wood, the biggest knock on wood that I've ever had, been been pretty healthy. And I love the fact that if there is a soccer game, he wants to be on that field. So that was fun to see him play. But Miami is going to look very different and FC Dallas is going to look very different.
1: On the topic of the Cotton Bowl, uh, 1994 quarterfinals, Brazil beat the Netherlands there 3-2, Bronco with a late free kick, and then semifinal and final were at the Rose Bowl. So two historic venues that have been kind of cast aside. uh, I have a fond spot for them because that's where Brazil played their last three matches at that World Cup. Oh, look at you. Who'd they play? Who did Brazil play? Uh, in the quarterfinals, it was the Netherlands, 3-2, and then Sweden in the semis and Italy in the final, both at the Rose Bowl. It was hot. It was hot for those there, players. There were only two games uh, in that tournament in which Brazil ventured out of the West Coast. Uh, that quarterfinal against uh, the Netherlands at the Cotton Bowl, and then the last group game against Sweden was at the uh, Pontiac Silverdome.
0: Oh, that's right. Good, oh, rest in peace, the Pontiac Silverdome. No.
1: All the other games Brazil played were either in Stanford or at the Rose Bowl. Right. All right, what else we got? Uh, another X question. Uh, Philip Henry Farrell. If you could buy any soccer club in the world, which one would you buy?
0: Ooh. All right, so this probably needs a little bit of context. Um, so we, there are all sorts of lists out there of the valuations of clubs. So just to give you an idea... Let's let's pull this one up in terms of the you know the most valuable clubs out there, and this one actually comes from uh, what is it uh, soccer or uh, transfer market? There we go, transfer market. So Man City, I don't think it should be necessarily any surprise, uh, sitting at the top, one point eh, around one point three billion dollars, then Arsenal, then PSG, Real Madrid for those just a little bit over a billion dollars. Chelsea, just a little under a billion dollars. Now, these lists come out, and how you calculate what these numbers are is pretty arbitrary, and it can go all over the map when you come to some of these uh, numbers. But what I did see today was an MLS valuation uh, that just came out. And that's, that was interesting, too, because I want to kind of include this. So I'm thinking about this question or answering this question strategically, okay? because if i if you just say well i'm just going to buy the most valuable team that exists in the world then you buy man city but you know how how much how long do i want to hang on to it am i just flipping it how much potential does it have to grow and that's where you get into this interesting uh, conversation when it comes to mls teams mls teams and again this is according to sportico and this is catnip for people and it's designed to do this because Ultimately, there could be a million different reasons why these numbers show up, but they have four different teams being worth over a billion, including uh, LAFC at the top with one point one billion, Atlanta United at one around one, Inter Miami around one, and the Galaxy around one billion dollars. But then you go into you know teams like you know the Portland Timbers at seven hundred and fifteen, and and some of these teams that are seeing. A growth again. It's on paper, and again, it's just some person or person's opinion out there as to what the valuation is, with massive type of growth. So, if I'm, for example, you know, a a, a Minnesota United, and you you bought it for I don't know, a hundred million, hundred fifty million, whatever it ends up being, and now it's worth five hundred or something like that, that's pretty good, and that's a pretty good return on your investment. So. All of this is to say is I, would, I still feel that the risk when it comes to MLS is such that if I'm spending money, it's not about my heart. It's about my head. And so I would look into something, and you mentioned it, you know, maybe from an Italian perspective. If you go on that list of teams, AC Milan down there worth $525 million. But I think that that has the potential for looking at it as a stock. To grow to grow significant, significantly, it also has a history, and the league is continuing to grow. So I would look at something like that. What about you,
1: Moss? I interpreted this question a little bit differently. Oh, you did? I thought of it in terms of a place that I'd love to spend a lot of time in to see my team play. <laughs> so like that. Vet- Venezia. yeah, no. uh, Sean just got in my ear in Monaco. Yeah, Stu did it right with Majorca, Um, and yeah, if if there's a team in Ibiza or Cannes, Saint Tropez, like buy some lower division team in one of those places, and you know you can just go there and hang out and go see your team play. Oh, I,
0: I I want (laughs) the biggest possible return on my investment, and and look, you could say when it comes to Manchester United or anybody else out there, especially you know, when the ownership first bought it and what it is now, there is an incredible return on an already incredible value. And you can also say, and this happens all the time when it comes to real estate, well, it couldn't possibly go any higher. I mean, how could you possibly think that? Well, 20 years ago, the same thing was said, and now look where it is. So maybe that's dumb, and I should just, I should just look at it and say, well, what's the most valuable club in the world? Manchester City, buy that, and everything would be fine. But it's not always that easy. And so I'm, I'm trying to look strategically and find some diamonds in the rough
1: out there. What else? And then finally, another question on X. Uh, TF asks World Cup final MetLife or Dallas? Okay.
0: So, you know, right now, I guess the the odds makers out there, uh, a lot of talk about the World Cup final from 2026 being in Dallas. And when I say Dallas, I mean Arlington. And I know people will scream and yell and stuff like that, but not for nothing. But the New York venue <laughs> is actually in New Jersey. So, um, don't get stuck up on on that. I think that to have the best possible final, at least I, I would like idyllic conditions. And Dallas, we know, is incredibly hot in the summer. We just talked about the Cotton Bowl. America, in general, in the summer, is very very hot. And you can ask Jurgen Klinsmann or any other player that played in 1994 or 1999. It it affects the play. So I want that World Cup final in 2026, to the extent that you can mitigate that, to be as idyllic in terms of the conditions as possible. So it kind of narrows it down. And it narrows it down to the indoor stadiums that we have and for those that don't know there are four indoor stadiums four and a half if you count SoFi, but four indoor stadiums And when i say indoor yes some have retractable roofs but let's be honest they're climate controlled which is what i'm looking for here and if there is a thunderstorm it can it, it doesn't matter as opposed to metlife where you can't put a roof on it it doesn't have a roof on it and so therefore the elements are part of it whether it's the heat uh, or whether it's the uh, the rain again um Dallas, Houston, Atlanta, and Vancouver are all uh, rooved. And I do think that the future of sports and soccer is rooved stadiums. And then, as I mentioned, SoFi, which is kind of an indoor-outdoor type of thing. So I want that climate-controlled environment that is conducive to a better game on the field and a more comfortable experience off the field. So I would say Dallas for all of those different, uh, different reasons. And there are those that are out out there that are traditionalists and and romantic about weather. I I don't want I don't want to to play a part when it comes to the game. All these stadiums, whether they're indoor or outdoor, are going to put in new surfaces, and it is going to be grass. It's gonna they're gonna spend a lot of money to have grass, so the grass is going to be fine, and people will be comfortable. It does bring up an, a really interesting conversation, Mossy, as to. Do teams, and that's not even a question, I guess, I'm just going to say, teams are going to have an advantage playing games in these climate-controlled roofed stadiums relative to other teams that, to your point, are playing in incredible heat in the middle of summer. And I think it's going to be in Dallas, and I think it should be in Dallas. What do you think?
1: Yeah, it sounds like Dallas. (laughs) Makes sense to me. (laughs) Okay. I mean, Jerry spent a lot of money. This is the least we can do for him. (laughs) Right. Anything else, Masi? Uh, Yes. Tomorrow, FIFA is holding the draw for CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. We could have as many as eight CONCACAF teams at the next World Cup. We already know three. The U.S., Mexico, and Canada have qualified automatically as hosts. Uh, 32 teams are vying for three other automatic spots. And then there are two more potential playoff spots. Uh, the likes of Costa Rica, Jamaica, Panama, Honduras are considered the favorites to snag those spots. I know the U.S. isn't involved, so we're not going to be as focused on it, but it's still interesting to see who else qualifies from CONCACAF.
0: Well, this is, for, for, for those that don't remember, it's, it was a while ago, this is the octagonal, the hexagonal uh, qualifying tournament that, like you said, We'll decide the three teams that go automatically and then potentially two more. Masi, I can hear your brain exploding from over here at the potential of eight CONCACAF teams in a World
1: Cup. You're not having it, are you, my friend? Yeah, those, those uh, group stage games are going to be interesting. In 2026. Oh, wow.
0: Have you no faith that them getting the opportunity, they're not going to rise to the occasion, whoever that ends up being? Fair enough. Man, Oh, man. You're so elitist. You you just look down your nose at all these teams that finally have the opportunity to do what your Brazil team has done time and time again and doesn't even. I mean, right now they're in crisis. No, they're not in crisis. They're going to qualify. Everything's going to be fine. But these little teams from CONCACAF, they finally get their opportunity to celebrate and put their hand over their heart and sing that anthem and celebrate not just the sport, but their country. And you're just going to piss all over them.
1: You know, when we interviewed Landon at the convention, you asked him about the Euros because he's going to be covering that in Germany this upcoming summer. And I know it's on Fox and we want to talk it up, but he said that it's the greatest international tournament actually even better than the World Cup. And you kind of let him get away with it. But I know that that bothers you, this notion that the Euros is somehow better than the World Cup because it's not watered down by these nonsense teams from other regions. Nonsense is a good word, okay? (laughs) because that
0: was nonsense from Landon. Uh, But uh, you know, I I have to be respectful, and I and I am. And it, you know, you live to fight another day. That's and it is a fight that will have another day. And I get it. He's going over there, and 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 he's going to do a great job. But I think he will certainly have an eye to what is going on uh, here. But we will, we, will, uh, we will check out. And ultimately, this is the road that leads to 2026 and the United States and Mexico, Canada, when it comes to the World Cup and all of those teams, whether we know them or whether they're appearing for the first time and their opportunity to represent their, their country. Anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right, let's take another quick break. When we come back, it's the end of our show, and I give you my lunch on the road. Okay. Welcome back. It's the end of our show. And at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. I want Mossy to kind of set this up, but before we do Mossy, you know, we, we record this and stuff just kind of happens and there is some breaking news. And by the time you listen to this or watch this, maybe this will be flushed out a little bit more. And it's something for us to keep an eye on going forward, but let the people know what's going on.
1: Yeah. Tom Bogert reporting that, uh, Russian club Spartak Moscow made a $13 million offer to FC Dallas for Jesus Ferreira. Dallas accepted it. Jesus Ferreira was willing to go. He was negotiating personal terms, but MLS stepped in and said no, that uh, they would not permit uh, an MLS player to get sold to a Russian club, given what's going on in the world right now. Very interesting Damn. story. Wow.
0: All right. Well, this is definitely something to, uh, to keep an eye on. Something else to keep an eye on, Mossy, is... And this is not necessarily something new. It's kind of an evergreen type of thing, but it just keeps coming up. And I think it's worth, uh, worth talking about is the gold in them, their hills that leagues around the world see in the United States market. Uh, please elaborate.
1: The uh, Syria president, Lorenzo Cassini, was speaking at a summit in Saudi Arabia and discussing uh, Italian football's decision to hold their Super Cup in Saudi Arabia. And he also talked about the possibility of them staging Syria games in the United States. Ooh.
0: I mean, look, uh, we know what, when it comes to the NFL that taking that brand overseas and taking that brand into other countries and cultures is part of the... Uh, the, the marketing strategy. We also know that this is nothing new in terms of these big brands or brands that want to be global looking to take their teams and have them play games in the United States. For the most part, it has been in a friendly type of capacity, an exhibition type of capacity. But the holy grail, if you will, for a lot of these teams is to, is to at some point Have games played here in the United States that matter, that are part of the league fixtures, if you will. Now, that rubs people on both sides (laughs) sometimes wrong. And whether it's the local fandom that says, well, that's not what we do. And this is our league that represents our country. And why is it being played? Why are league games being played over? In a country that's not part of this league, and I can certainly understand that, or whether it's the United States Soccer Federation and American soccer leaders saying, no, not so fast. You are coming into our territory, and we want to block it from a strategic perspective and at times a legal perspective and not let you get that bite. But as I mentioned, this is not going to stop happening. And because it is such fertile ground, because America has so many soccer fans, if I was a league and if I was a team looking to spread my brand, I would want to do that. And I would want to get those games to matter because it means that many more people are going to potentially buy tickets. It also means that many more people are going to tune in because the exhibition games, while there are certain plenty of people that buy tickets for them, nothing is ultimately on the line. And we can fabricate tournaments and do all that kind of stuff but this is for real and those three points that you get could mean you winning the league ultimately or those three points that you lose could mean you going down and so there is something like i said uh much more real and raw to those games and there's value to that rawness of a game i i i think it's going to be hard going forward to stop this from happening. And a part of me says, you know what? If Major League Soccer or any professional league over here truly wants to compete, they have decided to operate in a business that is global, in a way that other sports and other leagues are not. And yes, I'm okay at times with certain protections, but if you're ever going to be the league of choice that Don Garber wants MLS to be, If you're ever going to be a league that is looked at as one, if not the best league in the world, then you're going to have to find a way to compete for those hearts and minds. And does this make it more difficult when teams are coming into your territory and leagues are coming into your territory and not just playing games, but now playing games potentially that mean something? Yeah, it does. So find a way, find a way to make it better. Find a way to improve it. Find a way so that when that compare and contrast happens, that more often than happens nowadays, you are looking good. And I'm talking about Major League Soccer, but it could apply to anybody else out there that runs a, uh, runs a soccer league. And you are part of the business of soccer. And that business is global. And that compare and contrast that happens, maybe more so than any place in the world, with what happens overseas and the quality on the field and the experience on the field, that's going to happen. And if it comes to your doorstep, you better be prepared to fight. And if you're not, then you will be taken over. I don't think that that's going to happen anytime soon, but it is strategic and it's not, and it should come as no surprise that league owners and leadership in leagues continue to drop these, these seeds and to test the waters, and to see how far they can ultimately push it. Mossy, do you think that this ultimately happens? And if you do, do you think it is as problematic as the leaders that be would make it out to be?
1: I think it's going to happen. And if it's only one game, I don't think it's that big a deal in the grand scheme of things. Now, I don't want to tell Serie president how to do his job, but if you're going to hold one game here, I would recommend AC Milan-Juventus. <laughs> Although, in all seriousness, that, that's been a stumbling block in the past with this kind of stuff. Because the, the bigger clubs in Europe that have the clout, they don't want to lose out on a home game. So, right. uh, they're not always thrilled by this suggestion.
0: Well, well, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what ultimately happens. Um, listen, we've had a lot in this show. We thank you for uh, for hanging out. Moss, you got anything before we go?
1: That's, oh well...
0: <laughs> oh, of course, Mossy's always got one more thing. Look, if there's anybody still hanging with us, you know they get a little bonus. Here's a nice little Easter egg for you. Go for it, Mossy.
1: Uh, we mentioned Jesus Fede. There, there was another bit of uh, breaking sports news. What's that? Uh, the Jim Harbaugh era is over <laughs> at Michigan. Uh, he is going back to the NFL. The LA Chargers. We get him here in Los Angeles. Perhaps we'll have him on the pod. To...
0: Well, now he's he's one of us here. He's
1: an Angelino. Yes. Oh my goodness. Uh, All right. I, I'm okay with this, but Jack is inconsolable. Uh, I'm really? Worried, I'm worried about him. Yeah.
0: Well, maybe this also means from a Wolverine perspective as you go back to, you know, being a, a team of integrity and honesty and <laughs> you know, not cheating and doing all that kind of In stuff. No
1: In right? all seriousness, uh, everybody thinks now the NCAA stuff is going to go away. It was all about driving Jim Harbaugh out of college football. They've accomplished what they wanted. And they got their pound of
0: flesh, right? I mean, yep. so this, this is, I would think that it goes away now. Yeah, yeah. Right? Okay. All right, listen, um, keep reviewing, keep downloading, to keep, uh, you know, uh, what else do you do? Review, download, rate subscribe do all the different things that you do out there whether it's on apple or whether it's on spotify or over there on youtube when people watch it we uh, we thank you um again another you know heartfelt thank you to nikki mark for coming on the show and coming into the studio today uh to talk about uh her book and to talk about her son uh that can't be easy but i think you if you saw and you listened you recognize that it is something that is near and dear to her, and she approaches it with incredible passion and kindness. And ultimately, when it comes to soccer and what uh, her son Tommy has done, um, as I said, the fields that you have uh, now because of him and uh, the good that is being done in his name, uh, I think she should take great pride in that. And I think we should all take great pride in that. So thank you very much, uh, Nikki, Mark, for coming on. We will talk to you again next week, as we mentioned, news breaking, so there's all sorts of stuff for us to talk to you about. Uh, But until then, and as always...